Hello, this is Yarrow, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Jamie Tardy, who went from $70,000 in debt to a six-figure business coach and founder of the Eventual Millionaire podcast. Let the journey begin. Hello, my name is Yarrow, professional blogger, lifestyle entrepreneur, and podcaster from before podcasting was cool. Today's guest is Jamie Tardy, who is one of my favorite people to speak to. She is very well connected to all kinds of people in the world of millionaires and internet marketers and bloggers and podcasters. But in this episode, you're going to hear how she makes a living, what background she has, and also how she's gone on to become very well known for her eventual millionaire blog podcast and now a brand new book. What I love about Jamie is she's actually married to a contortionist and she was, or they were, in over $70,000 in debt. So you're going to hear how they recovered from that, what kind of business she ended up starting as a result. And then how that led to her becoming pretty much an internet celebrity and connecting with all kinds of amazing people. Uh, She's in a mastermind group with people like Pat Flynn. She used to coach John Lee Dumas, who's now a podcasting expert, and she was his coach in podcasting before he started. To cut a long story short, you just have to listen to this interview. If you want to learn about how to get out of debt, how to set up your own coaching business, how to create great masterminds if you have no connections already, and of course, how to start a podcast, then stay tuned. You'll love this interview with Jamie. Before I press play on the interview, I'd like to invite you to join my EJ Insider membership site. Inside that program, it's my only program where I do all my coaching. You can speak to me directly, get help on any problems you have with your blogging business. I can help you with email marketing, with podcasting, with blogging. I also have all my training programs in there, including a guide on traffic, on mindset and productivity, on how to buy and sell blogs for passive income, as well as my entire new interview series, You won't find it anywhere else. There's over 14 brand new exclusive interviews plus my back catalog of over 100 podcast interviews. All of this is inside the EJ Insider program. Just go to www.ejinsider.com forward slash interviews and that's where you can sample some of the interviews and sign up to become an EJ Insider. All right, let's get started with Jamie. Here we go. Hello, this is Yaro and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. I've just spent half an hour talking to my guests, and I'm sorry we didn't record it for you, but we've decided to actually start the podcast interview and get this going. Uh, My good friend Jamie Tardy has joined me on the show, and for some reason, whenever I talk to Jamie, we just keep talking, so we really need to interview her, find out all the amazing things she's doing. One of the challenges with Jamie that I have is actually introducing her to you, because She's done a few different things. She's most well-known publicly online for the Eventual Millionaire podcast. She also has a great story, which we're going to cover, from going from in debt to breaking free of the debt and then becoming a six-figure earner. And what, what I didn't realize, or at least I was curious about, is she also currently makes a living coaching and consulting uh, online as well. So there's a few different elements at play. Jamie, let's break this down. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Yara. I appreciate it. Okay, so did I get that summary kind of right? I'm sure it's disjointed, but... Perfect. Sold. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
So let's dive in. So long story short, you make a living from the internet, plus you run this popular podcast, The Eventual Millionaire, and you used to be in debt, and you're a mum as well. So let's go back though, before you were a mum. Oh, and I didn't mention you're also married to a circus performer, which is... <laughs> One of the parts that I really like. Weird. I'm looking forward yeah. to the how you met the circus performer part of this story. So, um, oh, and geez, I forgot. We've got a brand new book out as well called The Eventual Millionaire. So let's, that's the most recent thing. So let's go back in time and bring us up to today. Uh, before you met the circus performer, before you had kids, you were a university student. Am I correct? Well, actually, knew, I knew the circus performer since I was 16. I, we, we've been together for like 15 years now, so I can't. Okay. I guess we're not going back that far. Was okay. he a circus performer back then? <laughs> yeah, he totally was. Right. He's a contortionist. You, you have to explain how you met and like how do you, how does one fall in love with the circus performer? A <laughs> <laughs> shift of what we're talking about. No, it's funny. I met him at a concert when I was 16 years old, and he was 17. And yeah, I mean, we've been together ever since. We were high school sweethearts. He lived probably an hour away from me, so it was a little tough at first. But he's a contortionist and has a show called Audio Body, where he does like techno comedy, and uh, it's kind of insane. You have to check it out to see. <laughs> awesome. So, okay, so you guys met, and then you were together ever since. So I guess you've been growing together um, at the same time. Did Now, normally with high school sweethearts, there's that issue with when university or college, as you guys call it, kicks in, you go to different places. But maybe with the contortionist, that's not an issue. Like, what happened next? <laughs> so the cool thing is, is he can sort of live anywhere. So he actually moved out to school with me. We got, I bought my first house when I was 19. And so we had, you know, a house and two cars and that? two dogs. Houses in upstate New York, I went to RIT, was really cheap, like 70 grand. So it was actually cheaper than my, <laughs> my rent. Wow. So it was, I think six or 700 bucks a month. So yeah. So I was always proud. Of that. What's wrong with that area? It is not a very good area. <laughs> Let's well, not talk about that. No, it's it was a very cute little cape, two bedroom, like super cute little house. But it's kind of silly <laughs> that they're that cheap for sure. Okay. Though it also kind of set up my whole debt thing, right? Because when I was nineteen, I had everything that my parents had, and so wow. it just seemed like, oh great, yeah, I have two cars and a house and some dogs, and it felt like I was a grown up already at nineteen, which is when I was still in school and it was a little weird. That's amazing. So um, this is all pre GFC, um, probably. It was a pre-dot-com boom as well, like 2000, so we're going further back, or? I graduated high school in 2000, so yeah, okay. this is 2000 to 2004. Wow, that's a lot of debt to take on at 19, though. Like... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it gets worse, though. So I went from there, right, of buying that house, and then I, of course, had to buy another house wherever I went because I had two humongous dogs that no place would take, and so we ended up, I had two houses, actually, at the same time because we couldn't sell the other one. Anyway, long story, but I ended up um, finding a really amazing job right out of college. Um, I went to school for information technology, so I was a big, huge computer geek. And so I found an awesome job, but then we just kept getting deeper in debt, right? Buying new cars. We had a $250,000 house at one point. Once we sold the two houses, we, you know, took that however much those cost and then bought a bigger, nicer house. And so we just sort of found ourselves like stuck of with a ton of debt. And don't get me wrong. He, my husband loved what he did and he always did, but I hated like this job where I had to travel around the country, um, and fix people's computers. I worked for a video on demand company where like I made people watch more TV, which I thought was not very fulfilling. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, and with your husband, did he need to travel with his performing as well? He traveled quite a bit too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it must've been a dynamic period of your life though. 
it was crazy. I would leave Monday, come home Friday, and sometimes he would leave on Friday and not come home till Monday. And so I don't. We didn't even see each other all that much. It was. It wasn't a very fun time. I kept going. Wait a minute. Is this what success is like? And I. I mean, seriously, I was only twenty three, twenty four, but and I made six figures, right? I made just at a hundred thousand dollars, but I was like, wow, this sucks really bad. I. This is not what I wanted. So so, what did you do? I quit, right? Well, the first. <laughs> The first thing, and my husband had always told me to quit, and I was like, no, you don't understand. My husband's a performer. Yeah, <laughs> how secure is contortionist? Exactly, no offense. Right? <laughs> That's exactly what I always said. And, and and don't get me wrong, like he's and he's done way better now than where we were back then, but it was very sporadic at the time. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to quit my six-figure job, and my husband is a juggler slash contortionist. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> I, it's kind of silly, but I, I tried finding blogs that had any similar stories to me. And I just, I, of course, couldn't find, nobody has a similar story like that. <laughs> um, but it was really funny. We took 16 months, worked our butts off, right? Paid off over $70,000 in debt and sold pretty much everything we owned. Um, so that way we could get rid of the debt. So if I did quit, his his income would be able to start to to cover all the expenses. Right. Okay. So you sold both houses? We, well, at the time we only had, so I was going a little crazy. So at the time we had one $250,000 house. So we, we were able to keep that. So I still had my mortgage debt, but the $70,000 that we had in debt was um, a brand new car that we had bought two months before, which is dumb. Like don't decide you're going to get out of debt right after you buy a brand spanking new car. Um, so there was that. There was home equity loan and student loans. I had tons of student loan debt still from before. So it wasn't even credit cards or anything like that. I mean, I thought I was smart with money beforehand. So how do you pay off $70,000 when you're both on a fixed salary? So I, so the thankfully, I mean, I, I made really good money. And when I used to travel, I used to get expenses paid for and food and, and all that fun stuff. So the more I traveled, the more I made. I also got an on-site bonus. So every time I was like traveling as much as I possibly could because I got a $40 a day bonus. The big chunk though that took out is that we sold that brand spanking new car. So it was two months old and I had less than a thousand miles on it and we ended up selling it. And so that took a big, probably like eight or $9,000 off because we owed 20, on, almost 20 on the car. And then we bought like a car um, for a lot less. And so like that took a big chunk. And so we, we did it little bit by little bit, right? We owned a, a 36 inch Jeep CJ seven cause we loved off-roading. I still love Jeeps. Um, but we sad day when we sold that, we just pretty much sold everything we owned. So that way we could get rid of it. Cause the thing I didn't mention is that I, the reason why, like the catalyst for all this was because I wanted to have a baby, right? We talked about having kids and I'm like, well, I can't leave on Monday and come home on Friday. Mm. <laughs> that just doesn't work. Um, and I talked to my work and they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't budge. Well, you have to, you have to travel. That's sort of what you did. And so I was like, well, great, I have to quit. And so we, I mean, the reason why it was 16 months is because, I mean, I got pregnant <laughs> and I was like, shoot, I got 10, you know, nine and a half months before the baby comes. So I better, I better really work on this quickly. So that's why we were such in a hurry to pay it all off. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So again, it's all changes, isn't it? From accumulating debt to getting rid of debt, working really hard to do it and buying things and selling things and then having a baby. This is some crazy times. Um, <laughs> You came out of it well enough. I'm assuming baby was born and the debt was gone. It was that. Yeah. And then you had this base to, to decide what to do next with, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly what it was. So we, so I was able to quit my job when my son was four months old. So I, I left for a little while for maternity leave, went back for a couple months, and then was able to leave. Thankfully, we had an emergency fund too, so it wasn't just like quitting with no savings or anything like that. So we had a six-month emergency fund all saved up too. And so, yeah, it was like a... I quit. Oh, great. Now what do I do? And I realized very quickly that I couldn't be a stay-at-home mom because I, I do love working um, and I'm not really cut out for that. So I tried to figure out what I could do for, you know, 20 hours a week. So and it's sort of a long story. So I'll go very short. Um, I ended up finding a mentor locally who was a business coach. And um, it was really a, a, an amazing thing. I was actually a coach. Um, I became sort of like a life personal coach for a while um, and then ended up finding him as a mentor in, in business coaching. So what I ended up doing for about 20 hours a week when my son was first born was um, like driving around and getting clients and doing business coaching. So he taught me everything he knew. I worked with him for probably about two years um, doing that side of things and then had this realization like, if I'm only working 20 hours a week, I have no leverage whatsoever. I can only have a certain number of clients and I'm driving around because I live in the middle of nowhere in Maine, number one. And businesses in Maine don't have a lot of money. Maine is the 49th worst state in the U.S. for business. It's not really the best place to be for a business coach. And um, so, it, yeah, it's sort of a funny story. I ended up um, telling my mentor, you know, I'm a geek. I should be doing this online thing. And he's like, well, you know, we can't really afford to have you doing that and this at the same time and all that stuff. And I really pretty much worked for myself. I mean, I just got a cut of each of my clients um, working for him. And so I decided to go out on my own. And that's when I started Eventual Millionaire. How did you position yourself with all of this? Like, you know, being a coaching client at such a young age with, you know, you, you basically were working a job before you became a coach too. And I can see the connection between you got out of debt and then doing life coaching to help other people get out of debt. But the business coaching, that's a little bit left field. You know, you hadn't built this massive business and then sold it and now you're coaching, right? Totally. So when I met him, I had so many mindset issues of like, well, I can't coach. I didn't do, you know, I didn't do any of that. But I was a project manager beforehand. So he's really good at like systems. So he took me in as like, okay, great. I'm going to show you how to do this with clients. So I ended up getting really good and working with, you know, million dollar plus clients on that side of things. And so it was funny because I remember when I was dealing with that and going like, you know, I've, I haven't done the business thing yet. I don't really know exactly how to do it. And I feel like crappy going, hey, listen to me. And he always told me, he's like, baseball coaches don't necessarily play the game as well as the people that they're teaching. And I'm like, all right, you got a good point. And so I've been doing business coaching ever since because I started seeing the impacts of what I did or business owners. And so it's, I mean, a lot of it's personal, right? A business owner, it's really kind of funny. Now I work with, you know, seven to $10 million companies and you look at the owner and a lot of the stuff, a lot of the issues with the company have to do with the issues of the owner. And so it's very, um, it's kind of amazing the mindset and the personal stuff that it requires. But yeah, it took a lot to get, to get through all that. Cause I used to ask myself that same question all the time. But when you start seeing results with your clients, I was like, Hey, look, I did that myself. And, um, so it was, it was really cool. And how did eventual millionaire, the podcast, all this fit together? Cause you said that's when you started it, right? Yeah, so I started Eventual Millionaire um, right after I left with Kirk, who was my mentor. And, you know, I was 
It's the whole like, oh, well, you should start a blog. And I just started a blog because I was a geek and figured, you know, I'd like to figure out how to do this blogging thing. And everybody told me to blog for six months before I found my voice right, and all that stuff. And so I blogged for six months and had, I think, like 400 subscribers or something like that. It was kind of sad. Um, and I was like, well, this isn't really worth it because I was using it as I was trying to use it as marketing tactics. Um, but I was blogging about random like I was blogging about getting out of debt and I was blogging about a little bit of business and it was sort of it it wasn't um what I really wanted it to be and it was funny because I was actually going to give it up so I told my mentor the, the guy was still helping me even though I left his practice um he's like well give it up then and send an email to your subscribers and just be like you know what I'm not going to um, be updating anymore and for some reason I couldn't pull the trigger right like I in my gut I couldn't pull the trigger um but it was funny because a week after that, CNN contacted me. Mm-hmm. And then I was on CNN's uh, website, and then they asked me to be on their uh, show. So I was on their TV show. And then Yahoo picked up the story, so I was on Yahoo's homepage. Um, and so it was really crazy, the opportunities that were coming in and, and the amount of traffic and the you know things that were p- really paying attention to me at that point. And I went, okay, maybe there is something to blogging because there's no way me just being in Maine could ever land on the homepage Yahoo without, without something like this. And so that's when I actually really took it really seriously. Um, and I ended up realizing that I wasn't really um, a writer right? Personally, I love talking, right? Me and you could talk on the phone for <laughs> forever, right? And yeah. that's when I so started. So it's your fault we do that. I get it. It now. is. It's my fault. Sorry. <laughs> and that's sort of the piece, right? Because I'm in a mastermind group. Um, Pat Flynn, I think your audience probably might know Pat because you've probably been on the show. But um, Pat has been in my mastermind group since I very, very first started Eventual Millionaire. And so um, it was really funny because it was he, he had a podcast and another girl named Marin Kate who owns a company called Zirtual now um, had a podcast and they're like Jamie you should podcast hey you should interview millionaires and I was like that's great but I don't know any millionaires at all so okay how am I going to do that and it sort of all started with that one idea on that one mastermind call and it was really funny I just started doing it right okay. after that two questions for you I'll write them down so don't forget um, <laughs> first one is. With the CNN, this is a tipping point. This is like a major tipping point for you, right? This is like you were about to give it up and instead massive exposure, which means you keep at it. And everything since then has pretty much come from that point. I mean, I know you worked for six months and put a lot of work into it, but at the end of the day, it's a tipping point that kept you there. Mm. Why did CNN come to you? Like what, what, I know, was it? Line That's luck. a good question. So what I've determined, at least what I think, because um, let me finish the story and then I'll go back and tell you. So the next um, funny thing that happened is two, three months after that, I was on Yahoo's homepage again. My face, different picture, <laughs> a different story, but my face was on Yahoo's homepage again. Um, and I think I've deduced from both of those times that it was one guest post that I did on a site called Get Rich Slowly. And they had different um journalists reading it so one person was from kiplinger's personal finance which is what landed me on the yahoo's homepage the second time and i'm just assuming that yahoo uh, that um cnn found it that way too that was the only i mean i did a couple guest posts and that was it that was really unless they did a google search but i'm pretty sure i didn't even come up in the google searches at that time so it was really just excuse me some exposure on other well-exposed sites that sort of kicked all this off Definitely. I, I mean, I knew, I found out later um, after meeting the journalists and stuff that a lot of different journalists read blogs and it was really kind of cool, especially the bigger blogs. Interesting. No, that's a, there's a 
point about doing guest blogging that's not really mentioned very much is just who you reach that might help you in other ways. It's, you know, it's usually about getting a link and getting direct traffic, but the connections might be fantastic too. Um, yeah, I actually, let me stop you for just a second because sure. I ended up doing a whole speech on this on like how to get press and what the best ways are. And I found tons of case studies, like people getting books through Wiley and through all this other stuff from like guest posting and silly things that wouldn't, you know what I mean? That wouldn't be mm. um, that big of a deal. But there were lots of really cool stories like that too, not just me. Well, geez. And, and you know, with um, Matt Cutts recently announcing that guest posting is not good for SEO, I know. <laughs> I, I, it's kind of scary how much of an impact that's going to have on mindset when it still is such a great technique for exposure. It's just maybe not the best for SEO, as, at least not as much as it used to be. Well, the funny thing is, is I also talked to, uh, I had a, like a quick call with Anil Patel and asked him specifically what I should be doing on my site. And he told me more guest posting. And this was like two or three months ago. Yeah. I was like, really? More guest posting? Everybody <laughs> kept telling me more about guest posting. So, I mean, you know, take it for what it is. I think it's just a case of don't do low quality guest posting. That's what I took away from, from uh, Matt Cutts. Yeah. So, um, but the other question I have, and this is, this is such an important question for you, Jamie. You have always had this these masterminds of you keep dropping names, Neil Patel, um, Marin Kate from Zirtual. I know she used to be escaping the nine to five, Pat mm -hmm. Flynn, um, John Lee Dumas. You, you were, well, you went to school with him, but you also have worked with him as a coach, uh, which you might mention later on. There's a lot of really successful people around you, but it seems like you connected with them during the very early days for a lot of them as well. And also you connected with them when, you, you're, you're clout in terms of, you know, you sort of couldn't come up and say, hey, look at this amazing blog I have. You can say it. I was a nobody. Well, you were a nobody. <laughs> no, I was. I was totally a nobody. Yeah, okay, let's put it that way. How does a nobody convince these people to let them in their mastermind or do a mastermind with them? Well, it's really funny. It's funny. I was just actually on Pat's show that's um, coming out live right after probably our recording happens. But it's really funny because I was like, Pat, do you even remember how this happened? And we sort of, I sort of kind of recalled it a little bit on his thing. But I made a goal because, again, middle of nowhere in Maine, my town had 2,000 people in it. It's not, I like, Seriously, it's kind of sad. Um, and so the funny thing was is I made a goal to try and um, make more real high-quality friendships of people that were successful that I really wanted to be like, right? That really um, had their stuff together. And so when I went online, I started searching like, okay, how do I do that? <laughs> and so I came across mastermind groups um, from a book, Think and Grow Rich, and I decided that I wanted to start my own. And so don't get me wrong, I didn't know Pat or Marin or anybody really in this space. I was reading a lot about it, like reading about internet business mastery and your site and a whole bunch of other stuff. So a little, little hat tip to you, right? <laughs> um, and, so, and so seeing all that stuff, um, when I first came about, I knew that I wanted to, I, I wouldn't be able to get anybody that was like super, super huge. Um, the funny thing is I ended up just asking Pat Cold because I found his blog. And I think he had probably like 10,000 subscribers or something. It's not like he was really small. Yeah. Um, but I asked him once and he said no. <laughs> so just so you know, Pat Flynn totally said, said no to me. Um, but I ended up, what I, what I ended up doing to try and get people to say yes, um, and sort of my whole goal was to get people that were much higher level than me, especially in the online space, because that's what I needed help with, um, was that I worked with um, two of my friends had a viral video or quite a few viral videos online um, called Diet Coke and Mentos Experiments. I don't know if you've ever seen those. It was a long time ago. It was way back when. Um, but, you know, they had 50 million plus views online. 
And so, yeah, I, and I used to work with them doing project manager stuff, like in between quitting my job. And so I sort of leveraged that as much as I could, like name dropped them. Like, <laughs> so I've worked with them and I knew a lot of stats on video and I knew what they did and all that fun stuff. So I, I tried, I tried to get some clout. Um, but the other pieces were as soon as I had some really amazing people, I actually had my very first member. It was really funny. I was looking through your history. My very first member of my mastermind group was David Hooper who you've had on the show. Oh, wow. And he found me on Steve Pavlina's website. And so (laughs) it's so silly, right? Wait, wait, how how are you on Steve Pavlina's website? I just, I I was on forum. So I posted, hey, does anyone want to be in my mastermind group? And David Hooper wrote back. David Hooper, that is a long time ago for me. That's, he's he's one of the very first podcast teachers I think I ever came across. Well, and it's so hilarious. I don't know why he ever would respond to me, but what he ended up doing was uh, sending me his book. He has a book called The Rich Switch and it has a whole piece about masterminds in it. And uh, and then he was like, actually, you seem pretty cool. Maybe I'll be the first member of your mastermind group. So I had him and then I started getting some other cool people and then I ended up going back and asking Pat, hey, look, these are all the people <laughs> we've got in it. Look at me now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But we also had a really good structure. And so Pat Root said he really liked that that we had a, a you know a hardcore structure. And you know, this was almost four years ago. And so we've been meeting every single week ever since. That's impressive. That, that is an impressive mastermind group. Like in terms of how long it's gone for, who you got involved with. Um, it's amazing. Like I, I think back to my own past. I've never had a formal mastermind group. I've always had sort of casual uh, masterminds where you know, Gideon Shalwick I talked to and now Walter Haas, some people I've had partnerships before and then, then kind of like what you and I did, we had a chat beforehand and when I interview someone like Lewis Howes, I ask for a little bit of feedback at the same time. So there's a, there's a way to get advice from people without structuring complete masterminds, but I know a lot of people love this regular meeting up, accountability, sharing of what's going on, which... Um, is what you've had with some high quality people, which has definitely helped, I'm sure, your mindset and raised the bar of what you think is possible. But I think one of the real benefits from this is you can tap into sources of traffic and exposure that you would never have a chance to because you can easily get on Pat's podcast now, which is you know listened to by millions of people. So, you know, and that that might be more difficult if you're just another blogger or podcaster out there talking about the same sorts of stuff but you're in the mastermind you've all got these mutual friends so I think masterminding especially uh, maybe you know your example is good in the sense that you pick some top people who then become really big I think Mm -hmm. anyone listening into this now would benefit from doing something similar pick some top people in your industry but not the biggest people in your industry but you know rise with them and, uh, you know, that you can help each other. And, and it's more likely that they'll say, yes, like I'm not going to go and get Steve Pavlina if I want to suddenly become a personal development uh, teacher, writer. He probably, well, let's not take me if I'm a nobody because I actually know Steve. But if I haven't, <laughs> if I have no connection with Steve, then, you know, asking him to be in the mastermind then is not likely to say yes. But if I grab a bunch of other personal development bloggers who are just starting out, it's more likely they'll be receptive to what I'm doing. And then, of course, you can apply your cool little tricks with uh, saying, I help this person, I work with this person. I know, I name drop way too much, right? (laughs) But you know what's really funny? As I was coming up with the book, 
and with everything with the book, um, it was really insane. Because the other the other thing that I, I failed to mention is that I meet a lot of people in person. And we were talking about this before, right? So um, especially when you live in the middle of nowhere, you have to go somewhere to meet people. And so I started going to a lot of different uh, conferences. So you can actually hang out with people as friends. Because it's great to be able to chat with them over Skype and stuff like that. It's a very different thing to actually be able to, you know, go have a drink with them and hang out with them for a while and joke around and all that fun stuff too. And so that started building like huge amounts of relationships for me. So when I was dealing with the book and writing the list of all, you know, we're sending out over 400 copies of the books to people. It's insane. And, and I can say that they're pretty much all my friends, which is an amazing experience to be able to say like, oh yeah, I'm on this blog and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. You know what I mean? I was just on John Entrepreneur on Fire today and and I told John, I'm like, come on, you have to have me back on the show. I helped you with this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. all right. <laughs> you know, and so being able to have those relationships that are true relationships, not just like, hey, help me out and skeezy, like I'm only getting to know you as a friend because I want to use your list or something like that. Not like that at all. True friendships really mm. makes a key. I think it obviously helps with your personality, Jamie, being so approachable and, and you know easy to communicate with. Um, but I think your point, and this to me is the most important point, you became uh, socially aware of these people before you met them as well, which mm -hmm. gave you the intelligence to interact with them on a playing field that made them more receptive to you doing so because you knew their mm -hmm. history. You knew what was interested interesting to them you knew other people they knew so it's you know you come into their world in a safe way which makes it more likely to be friends where like you said the skeezy way is just to sort of say how big's your list hey we promote my product <laughs> you know but if, if you if you if you you might want that but if you're going to wrap it around the whole friendship and the relationship and there's a lot of social intelligence that goes into that making that happen correctly i wouldn't want this to sound like it's strategic and evil in any kind of way but that's <laughs> That is what happens. You need to create the parameters for a friendship to happen. And that means you have to actually care about what that person's doing and, and be interested in them. But mm, And you never know who's going to work out really well and not, right? I try and find connection points between people. So like specifically like um, people that love, I love UFC. I know that's kind of weird, right? I love, uh, I love UFC and the way that goes. And if I find anyone that likes UFC, I'm like, oh, no, we're best friends, right? right. And so really finding connection points with whoever it is that you're going to be meeting, whether it's going to be a long-term friendship or not. I mean, some things go really long-term and that's awesome. And some aren't, right? Some you don't, and that's okay too. But if you're looking for really high quality, amazing people to be friends with, then it usually all shakes out for, for the good. So if you want to get to know Jamie, you need to be into Jeeps and UFC. Yeah. That's the path <laughs> to you. Yes. Thank you very much. And a geek. That's usually, those are my three things. That's all you need to know. <laughs> I'm sure there's a Venn diagram where those things those things all overlap very well, Jamie. Definitely. So. <laughs> Perfect. Good. I'm already figured out by everyone. Now I'm going to get a ton of emails. Thanks, Yara. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, back to your story, Jamie. So we reached the point where you've joined these masterminds and you've started to get this massive exposure for a venture millionaire. Uh, and you're coaching people as well. So you had, um, well, no, you, do you have any coaching? You had the clients that weren't online sort of happening then, didn't you? 
Yeah, I had a lot of, of my previous clients from before, but I started actually getting more clients from, you know, the, the blog kept growing, which was really great. And when I started the podcast, that was sort of an amazing experience too, because um, I mean, I started podcasting four years ago, which feels like forever ago now in the podcasting world, right? And I remember getting like 30,000 downloads my first month and being like, oh my gosh, this wow. is amazing. That was way better traffic than what I what I had ever expected. And so that really um, took a lot of things off too, thankfully. So I had a lot of really amazing companies come to me for coaching, which was one, but I wasn't at, at the time. Now people come to me for online stuff, but at the time I was brand new to online when I was first there. So I wasn't, you know, saying that I was good at online. Mm. Um, I helped people with employees and, and systems and uh, creating more revenue in their business and looking at their finances, all that boring stuff that no business owners like to look at usually. Um, and now I'm doing like really cool, sexy stuff like online marketing <laughs> and and all that fun stuff too. So it was sort of an evolution. And actually, um, you said I was going to bring up John. This is actually probably a good spot. I remember when um, uh, John. So so if you've, um, I don't know if you've have you had him on your show before, John Dumas. Uh... No, I haven't had John Lee. Do mm. we should mention who he is? But we keep saying yeah. John. Who's John? Yeah, right. So John Lee Dumas has a show called Entrepreneur on Fire. And um, he actually came, we went to high school, I was telling Yaro this story before, we went to high school together, which is kind of silly. And he ended up finding my podcast and telling me that he wanted to start a podcast. Now, he was the first person that ever came to me that was like, hey, I want to start a podcast. And I, that wasn't part of my business coaching skill set. I was like, sure, I've started a podcast before that's pretty popular. I can definitely help you. Um, and so it's just sort of insane. Since then, I have so many people coming to me asking me to start podcasts and doing online marketing and stuff like that. I, I, if you want me to help you start a podcast, I will. Though I, I warn everyone that I see a podcast as a marketing tactic and not a business, unless you're doing sponsorships directly and really looking for huge traffic sources. Otherwise, I see it as a as a great marketing tactic for whatever business you have. Anyway, long long story short. I, actually, I'd love to break... There's two things I want to break down with you, Jamie. Um, and, and maybe... It's probably the right time to ask you one of them. Um, what you just said about podcasting, so it's a marketing strategy. How exactly did you get 30,000 downloads in the first month? And how have you grown such a big podcast? Let's give people some technical advice here. That's a really good question, right? So back then, hitting the new and noteworthy list is all that it took. Okay, but how did <laughs> okay. you even do that? Uh, well, that was kind of funny. I had researched, right? And I knew Pat and Marin um, when they were in my mastermind group. They told me how they did it and how they thought um, you had to sort of roll with iTunes because nobody really told you exactly what to do. So I was told if you have a really good piece of artwork, right? Mm -hmm. And they thought like people handpicked. So I started like doing research, trying to find out iTunes sort of strategy. I didn't really know. Um, and my first few episodes were horrible, just to tell you the truth. So I don't know if they were looking at really that much quality. Um, but the funny thing was, is I, I did only interview millionaires. So um, yeah, as soon as it went live, I mean, I seriously only had maybe a couple hundred downloads from my own blog at the very most. And then iTunes picked it up and was getting like a thousand downloads a day at the very beginning. And at the very beginning, I only had, I was planning on doing an episode every other week because I didn't think that I was going to get very many millionaires because like I said, I didn't know any. Yeah. And so I was like, shoot, there's something to this podcasting thing. So I really started uh, moving that forward. Now, nowadays, right? So I just had another client last week or um, maybe three weeks ago, start a podcast and hit the new and noteworthy list. And I did a whole blog post all about how to hit the new and noteworthy list. So I asked a bunch of my friends, 
who had hit it and actually were on the new and noteworthy list at the time that I wrote the article and I made them give me all their stats, mm. right? So like how many downloads did you have before you hit the new and noteworthy list? How many reviews did you have? How many subscribers did you have? Like give me what you have and then how many did you get after, right? And I, I mean, I, it was really interesting. Some of them, you know, had had like 20 downloads before they hit the new and noteworthy list. And this was, you know, a couple months ago, but still it was really pretty impressive. It's getting a little bit harder nowadays because there's so many new podcasts coming out. Yeah. Um, but the downloads, like back when I did it, I was getting over a thousand a day because the way the iTunes was structured. Now the average that I've been figuring out from people, depending on where you rank in what category, that really depends. But if you're in like the, you know, business entrepreneurial kind of category or make money online kind of kind of category, they're getting between three and 500 downloads a day, which is pretty good, especially if you've got a new site or a new podcast or something like that. Is that from being new and noteworthy or is that just being on iTunes? New and noteworthy. Okay. So you get new and noteworthy to kickstart it and then you get that continuing. Yeah. And now to continue too, I was like, how do you, how do you create more? Because at the time I hit 30,000 the first month and then started to go down and I was like, Oh no, (laughs) like, what do I do now? Um, and I found the strategies that work for me and for my podcast is a going on other shows, right? Other podcasts, Uh because podcast listeners love other podcast listeners. Um, and so being able to, especially for me to be on Pat's show and your show and, and other popular John show, other popular podcasts now. Well, yeah, I've had, I don't know how many uh, people today be like, Oh, I'm going to listen to your show now because I just heard you on entrepreneur on fire. That's really great. That's definitely an easy way to get um, subscribers, but even just growing your blog, some people like audio content. I, all my interviews that I do are video audio and I have the transcript. And so I have everything (laughs) that you possibly can have, um, to try and hit all those points. So I try and leverage the content as much as I can. So even if I don't have, um, everybody listening to the podcast, I have some people watching it either on YouTube or on iTunes. I have a video, uh, podcast, um, or people reading the transcript. So it's sort of, I'm trying to leverage it as much as I can. So it does sound like there's no, it's traditional internet marketing now. You basically have to get out there, get yourself exposure. There's no magic button where you just release a podcast. You get into new and noteworthy and you're set. Oh, that would be, that's what happened to John. No, <laughs> that's, it's really funny. It's really, it's really well, funny. because Before you say it, I just have to throw one thing in, Jane, because uh-huh. I've been podcasting since 2005, right? So <laughs> I've, I've literally seen the wave come and David Hooper bring his name back into it he was around the first podcasting sort of uh, you know it was the first boom phase it wasn't as big as what's happened recently but there was a boom and then it died off which i think was because of um, youtube youtube made you know it's video killed the podcasting star in a lot of ways right <laughs> and then that sort of took wrote its wave and you know youtube's still good but then uh probably what around about when you did it four years ago there was this uh, new boost maybe three years ago when iTunes came out, iTunes has an app when the smartphones hit, so everyone was downloading to smartphones. And I noticed around the time when you first appeared to me with Eventual Millionaire, I know Pat with his podcast, there was um, David Sight McGarland with Rise to the Top. This is in my space, obviously, people talking about entrepreneurship. All you guys did these podcasts and I was like, I've been podcasting since 2005 (laughs) and you seem to launch one podcast and you have... The same amount of traffic, if not 10 times more, <laughs> after doing 10 episodes. I was like, okay, what's going on here? What's, where's the, the secret sauce that you guys are all doing? Which is why I'm so curious about um, answering that question. What does it take today? 
And I think it's so funny to watch you guys because I went through uh, growing up on the internet with Darren Rouse, um, Brian Clark from Copy Blogger, uh, John Chow, Shoe Money, and then the internet marketing guys like Jeff Walker and Mike Fulsame and Rich Sheffern and Evan Pagan. Now, a lot of us, the, 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 the parallels with someone breaking through and becoming really well known and sort of dropping off and then someone else popping up and then everyone doing uh, something similar like, oh, I've got the latest technique, I'm the great Facebook marketer and they become famous for a while, but then that technique drops off. And I see the same things happening now with, you know, we had the rise of Pat, now we're having the rise of John and David Simon Garland rose, but now he's switching off his podcast, I think, he's not doing it anymore. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it's so funny to watch this happen, but I still, am curious because the one difference from my early days to today is the internet is much bigger and everything's bigger there's a much bigger audience to tap into but there's a lot more people competing against what you're trying to do so i'm personally trying to answer this question if you are a new person and you're going i'm thinking of starting a podcast but is this going to be a six to twelve month slow process to actually get a return on it or do I just That's get really the new and noteworthy? Yeah, well, hit the new and noteworthy list, number one. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and whenever I've helped people launch podcasts before, too, I, I definitely try to let them know. Um, to me, I care about the business side, right? So, yes, podcasting is one way that you can definitely get traffic. And it's the same ways that you get traffic and other things, right? Yes, there's, of course, whatever the newest, craziest technique thing is. Um, but I'm sort of more old school, right? As old school as I can be, even though I didn't start in 2006 <laughs> or 2005. Um, but I really like to sort of like the format, right? So I'm planning, and it's funny, I'm, I'm keynoting at a podcasting conference, I guess, in, in August. And uh, my speech, I started doing a bunch of research because I want to know where podcasting is going, but not just podcasting, right? Um, because I really think technology is changing a lot, especially in the next 20 years. I really think we're going to see a lot of amazing things coming up. Um, and I want to make sure I'm in front of that trend. <laughs> and so that's something that I care a lot about. Yes, podcasting um, is definitely changing. I just um, talked to one of the guys over at SoundCloud and asked him what they saw as the future of podcasting actually recently. And and their whole thing is all about community-driven mobile, of course. Everybody thinks mobile's um, going to be huge anyway, or is huge already, don't get me wrong. Um, but moving into that space, and I'm like, okay, well, what do you see 20 years out? And he's like, um, well, let's just talk about 10 years out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's too long, way too long. <laughs> I know. And so to me, though, like, it's great to look out 10 years for sure, but I want to make sure that, um, you know, we're staying on, on top of whatever these things are. Yes, the technology is going to come and it's go, and, and as long as we're really adaptable and start moving forward, yeah, people will be like, oh, this is a cool new thing. Oh, this is a cool new thing. I want to hop in on a trend that's already going. One of my um, good friends, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but um, he has a, a podcast called Fat Burning Man. And they have seriously, I think, 400,000 downloads a month. They're like competing with Jillian Michaels' podcast. It's all about sort of paleo and that sort of thing. And his podcast is 18 months old. Like, it's insane how huge he has really gotten, especially in his space, and how an amazing of a business. I mean, he's got a six-figure business. He's doing really well. Um, that he built so quickly. And so, but, but one of the reasons I asked him, too, is he goes, well, paleo is a really big trend right now. Mm -hmm. And so being within that trend is, is really amazing, too. People are looking for it right now. And so sort of having those pieces um, and to line them all up, like that's, I find really, really cool and interesting too. Mm. Yeah. This trending thing is really important point. I think it's, it's 
like these stories, 400,000 downloads. That's incredible. I, I noticed uh, Lewis House has got 400,000 subscribers on SoundCloud, which you just mentioned. Uh, I, and he can't have been on there for longer than a year. I don't know how long he's been on there, but I mean, SoundCloud to me has been this music platform for years, but suddenly it's now a podcasting platform too. And everyone's starting to use it and building great followings. But let's not spend too much time. We've been talking about podcasting for ages here. <laughs> um, obviously, that's an aspect of what you do, but it's, like you said, it's a marketing tool. Now, I'm also curious because you, you parlayed everything you've done and into the most important part. You make a living, a six-figure living now, coaching. So, you know, you can see the journey you've been on to reach this point and you can see you've got these marketing tools and these great mastermind connections. But at the end of the day, you actually make a living because people say, I want to give you money, Jamie, to help solve a problem. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really curious, how did, you, how did you come up with pricing for this? How did you, how do you convince people to hand over money? Like, you know, how do you pre-qualify people so that you're getting good clients? That, that, those are big questions for people who run coaching businesses. So I'd love to hear your, your take on them. Definitely. So at the very beginning, having the mentor is really helpful because I didn't know how much to charge. And he told me that I had to charge 150 an hour. I was like, really? We're in Maine. People aren't going to pay that. But then people started paying it. And I was like, hey, apparently that works. Um, the funny thing is, I mean, I told you before I charge over $600 an hour now, but that's just because supply and demand, right? So being able to um, have a blog and thankfully, like you said, have the right type of prospects coming towards you. Um, and then, of course, I have a whole sales te te technique and process that I use too, which I can go into if you want to. Yes, um, but right Okay, good. So, so at the very beginning, I did this kind of wrong, and I didn't understand what was um, why it was sort of screwed up. I kept getting um, prospects that were not a good fit, right? Couldn't afford coaching, you know, didn't really know what they wanted, all that fun stuff. And I spent a long time on the phone, like talking to them, um, because the the process that my mentor had taught me is old school business, right? He's like a sixty plus year old guy who sold a million dollar business, like that sort of. Um, you know, old school kind of mentality, but he knew sales really well. And so that's what he ended up teaching me. And so the process for coaching was you do a free session, sort of like a um, sales call kind of, but like really trying to figure out what their pain points are. And so, excuse me, what I usually do is I, I, I offered, especially at the very beginning, I offered this free session, like, yeah, get your free session. And I had so many people just saying yes to this that would never in a million years buy coaching. And I don't know how many hours I spent, you know, really trying to get that. Um, and now the process I have is actually an application process. I'm full of coaching clients right now, so I'm not accept accepting any more coaching clients right now. But you can go ahead and apply. And so um, on my coaching page, which is kind of hidden, some people are, are like, okay, <laughs> you don't really, you know, push your coaching or anything like that. Thankfully, I really haven't had to do any of that um, once I got this process set up pretty well. Um, but because number one, it's not only just from the website. I mean, I also have tons of referrals from other previous clients or like you said, because I know everyone, everybody knows I'm a coach and sends me a ton of amazing people too. Um, so this is just the blog and the podcast are just one aspect of it, but, um, I have an application process. So, and I learned this actually from Ryan Lee, who's a friend and a guy that was on my, um, podcast, of course he's a but friend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> everybody's my friend. Yes. Shush, shush, I have a lot of friends. <laughs> he'll, he'll probably listen to this and be like, she's not my friend. No, um, <laughs> Who is but, uh, I know, uh, but it was really funny because he was actually a mentor of mine and, um, gave me his application. And so if you actually go on my blog, you can actually look 
at what the application is. Um, specifically, since I'm a business coach, I'm asking like, what are your um, goals? I ask how much you make now, how much your goal is to make, like hardcore numbers, try and figure stuff out. Because that, I mean, technically that's what I need to know, right? Mm -hmm. if, if a million dollar business, they could probably afford me or even, you know, half a million, but somebody who's just starting probably can't afford me. Not that I don't have products and I have a membership site and all that other stuff. So there's still really great prospects. They're just not great for one-on-one -on -one coaching, maybe group coaching or maybe um, one of my products or, or um, book even just, now that just, I have a book. Okay. <laughs> Um, since you're saying all this, it's at eventualmillionaire.com forward slash coaching for Why, that. Thank you. That's Yara. the form, right? Because I, I check out you said form. it's a complex form. It's really not. You just have some no, very hard hitting questions like current monthly business income, target monthly business income. And I love the question, why haven't you hit your target revenue yet? And in brackets, I'm serious. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, very uh, number driven. Well, exactly. I mean, the thing is, is that people don't really like saying, especially if they don't make a lot, they don't want to say exactly how much it is. And so some people leave that blank and that's fine. Um, and so my next process though, it doesn't even come to me at that point. It goes to my assistant. And so my assistant gets these and then she sends, I, I try and weed people out, right? We'll see how far they go before they actually really want to become a client. So my assistant will send three more questions, follow-up questions. And then after those what three are those questions, questions? Um, oh gosh, I'm going to have to, I haven't looked at them in a long time. Okay. So I think the first one is, um, is, um, what can a coach help you with? Right. Cause I find that really interesting. Um, where do you want to be? Um, I think in five years and then what my questions are really trying to do is find out if they're a good candidate for coaching, right? The first initial one is like, okay, are they a good prospect in general for my stuff? Mm -hmm. And the second one is going, okay, do you think we'd be a good fit? Because the thing is, is I, I really only work like 30 hours a week. Um, now with this book launch, it's a little bit more than that, but I try and work only while the kids are in school. And so, um, my time is really, really valuable. And so, um, these free coaching sessions I don't do unless I really think like I have like a 90, 95%, you know, rate because I only let, I only talk to people on these free coaching sessions that I'm pretty sure are going to say yes to. Right. And so, um, so that's how the process goes. Um, and it's worked really well, um, from now and continues to work really, really well. So I'm excited that I got that one piece, um, really figured out. And, and when do you, cause you said now you're like 600 an hour, I'm assuming you have a package you then sell once you've gone yes. through this process. So yep. I, I'm always curious, like, sure. it's sort of, so I'll give you my whole, my whole spiel if we okay. have time. Right. So <laughs> convince me, so I want to be your client, Jamie. Ready? Go. So, so that, that first call is definitely about um, you helping them. My, my mentor always said, don't spill your candy in the lobby, which I always thought was funny, which is like, don't give advice before they start paying you. And I, I don't like that specifically. I like to give, right? But the biggest piece um, and the, the way my format of my call goes, and I teach this to my clients all the time too. I think it's hugely valuable. I learned it from a, a company called Sandler Sales. And so uh, my mentor listened to them. He taught me that it's sort of a system that they use and sort of the very beginning is sort of bonding and rapport. So at the beginning of this call, you really want to get um, people to know and like you, right? You have to be personable and <laughs> nice and sort of connect, find those pieces. Like I was saying earlier that you can connect with, Oh, you like your, Oh, what's this like, you know, really try and um, set the tone. Okay. And then from there, what you do is you ask questions. I think a lot of people that sell services and you can use this system um, for anything pretty much that you're selling, not just coaching. Um, but I don't think enough people really ask what people need. 
right? And the point of going through and asking all these questions is to find their pain points. What are these things that they're struggling with? What can they not get past? How, why is this an issue? Because everybody's got pain points and we need to figure out what those are so that way we can solve them, right? And then if we tell them, yes, we can actually solve that stuff, it's a, such an easier sale <laughs> because they'll be like, hey, you can help me with this pain that I have. Okay, why wouldn't I pay you if the price works? Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is you're trying to A, really hone in on what the issues are and of course, make sure you can fix them. Don't be like a skeezy person that's like, oh, I can totally help you with that. Um, but, but really make sure that you understand what their problems are. Then when you start um, trying to figure out the cost of those problems, right? For me in business, it's super easy because I can go, well, how much time are you wasting? How much revenue are you losing? Like we can turn these into um, actually what one of the millionaires that I interviewed, he dubbed dollarization. And it's pretty much putting, pulling it all back into numbers. So you said, yeah, yeah, you charge a lot of money. And I do, I charge a lot of money. Um, but when you look at how much I charge, versus how much more money I can make you and or save you is a fraction, right? Which is what we're all about. We really want to create as much value as humanly possible, right? Otherwise people will stop paying you. Yeah. <laughs> and so what you want to do is really show them your value in numbers, right? As best as you can before you tell them their price, right? So if you go down the line and you're like, wow, how much are you spending on this? How much are you losing on this? Um, and you start writing it down, people are like, whoa, I had no idea I was losing that much or, or could be doing that much or whatever those numbers are. And you're just getting the numbers from them. Um, and then you go, okay, well, I'm this much money. And they're like, okay, well, comparatively, <laughs> if you can do this, um, then definitely it's a no brainer. And that's what I'm always looking for. I only want to work with people that really, really want to work with me because I mean, especially in a coaching consulting relationship, like if you don't have their buy-in hundred percent, you're not going to get the results that you really need to get anyway. Mm -hmm. So, so that's sort of the process of the, the call and how that goes. Does that make sense? It does. And it sounds to me the, the key ingredient with all of this is, is sourcing because the process works to, connect you two together and see how you can help them and, and make the whole relationship work and, and justify the price. But you have to have the right type of person entering that form at the very start. So yes. have you found, especially now that you've become so good at this, um, I know referrals would obviously be probably the best source of quality people because you've got existing clients matching you up with other people. Um, mm. is that true or is there like, do you find just random podcast listener turns out to be a good client? Well, is that, you would be surprised. So of course, referrals, I think are best because if I have an amazing client, they usually know other people that would be amazing clients for me too. So that's definitely, um, easiest. And they talk me up way before they, <laughs> before they get on the line. So definitely that's probably number one. But the funny thing about podcasting, and this is what I was chatting with a whole bunch of people, um, that have podcasts, especially like the people that already had businesses, like Mike Stelzner had an amazing business. Why did he start a podcast? Right. And, and it's really interesting to hear what, what they say about them too, because you can really connect with your listener. I don't know how many conferences I've been to. And I, I feel like a little mini celebrity, right. Where people come up to me and they're like, Oh my God, I love your stuff. <laughs> and it's, it's really funny, but you can really connect with someone when they can hear you like you're in their head. Right. And so you'd be surprised at, as long as the logistics fit, right. As long as they can afford it or they have a business that can afford it. Um, you connect right away because they already know, like, and trust you, right. right? They already are like, I listen to your podcast and I like what you do. And I like your personality. Cause I let my personality just, this is what I am like normally. It's funny. I had somebody come up to me at the last conference saying, you're really like this. I'm like, yeah, for good or for bad. This is, <laughs> this is what I'm like. Right. Yeah. 
Um, so, but they get to know you and it's so much easier because they kind of weed themselves out, right? The people that don't like me aren't going to be listening to my podcast. And so the people that do like me, I, I most likely will also like back. And it's a lot easier to really find those right fits that way. All right. So have we connected the dots of your story? Like are we up to the present day now or is there anything missing? Good question. So the book is probably the present day. So I've been doing, I've interviewed over 130 millionaires now, which is kind of crazy how much it adds up. And so 130 millionaires. And, um, actually one of the reasons why I have the book is because an agent found me on my, on my site. Hmm. I had talked about doing a book for a very long time and I didn't know exactly if I was going to self publish or not. Um, and I had an agent contact me and I ended up contacting a few others to sort of, um, figure out who I wanted for an agent. Um, but they really liked that. I already had a platform that I already had a ton of friends that were, um, that had platforms too. And I had a lot of press. And so to them, that's a winning situation (laughs) where if you're going to help promote, you already have a platform to promote to. It's sort of a no brainer. And I decided, I eventually decided to go, uh, the publishing route. So that was sort of the past (laughs) publishing with Wiley takes a lot longer (laughs) than publishing on your own. So it's probably been the past year and a half of like this whole process and what that is. And, and it takes a lot of time. So that sort of gets you all the way up to speed to where we are now. Okay. So, so what is this now that the, the book has gone into launch mode? Uh, tell us about it. So it's called Eventual Millionaire. What a surprise. You can uh, actually, the website is the eventualmillionaire.com, which is kind of funny. My publisher decided to do okay. <laughs> to do that one. We can talk about publishing versus self-publishing another day, right? Um, but the funny, but the funny thing is, is that the book um, really talks about my story. So not only um, paying off the debt, but how really you have to set yourself up um, to have your expenses lower. When you want to, whether you want to start an online business or whatever it is, the lower you get your expenses, the faster you can quit your day job if that's where you are. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's really huge. So, th- so the first chapter of the book really talks about that. And the rest of it really talks about um, how millionaires start businesses, right? And so did they have fear? Did they have mentors? I, I'm a big data freak, so I surveyed all of them to try and find out like what they did and what worked and what didn't work um, and how they specifically started their businesses and what those steps were um, to really get feedback and find out if it was a good idea. And so moving forward and all that fun stuff. So it's accumulation of over 130 interviews sort of boiled down into a step-by-step process. And the address is theeventualmillionaire.com for the book and eventualmillionaire.com for the podcast and the blog. Nothing like being confusing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the brand is great. Eventual Millionaire, who can't remember that? That's, That's a great brand. So... And your coaching page is on that page as well, which is uh, exciting. Now, I'm curious with the um, th- with the book deal and all that. This they came to you with this offer. Uh, for people listening, how much of a platform do they look for when they decide to work with you? Do you need to have X number of downloads of a podcast or subscribers on a newsletter or something like that? That's what I thought originally, but to tell you the truth, I don't even know that that matters as much because my numbers weren't even all that great. I think it was two and a half years ago that we, or yeah, gosh, it was a long time ago that we first started this process. And so my numbers weren't even all that good, at least not in my mind. But what I did in my book proposal that we ended up writing, because the first thing is the book proposal and then you pitch to publishers, which is, so it's a ridiculously long process. I listed all of my friends that said that I, what they would help me promote 
then. And then I added up all those numbers. I'm a big numbers fan, right? As you can tell, like put everything in numbers. So I put it all in numbers. And they, I mean, now that I've worked with them for a long time, they're like, yeah, we knew you had a ton of people that you could reach without us having to do anything. So definitely. So it's not even that it has to be yours specifically, but if you have a really good strategy um, on how you're going to reach that many people, Gotcha. That's usually a good way to go. So it's almost like they they factor in all the people you can connect with and expose your book to, as well as your own existing audience. Definitely, yeah. which is kind of sad, right? But but publishers don't do a lot in marketing nowadays. Don't get me wrong; my publisher's helping me with like some PR stuff. But in general, you bring the marketing plan, and so if you're bringing a marketing plan, apparently they're happy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Depends nowadays, right? Which begs the question: Why go to a publisher in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> Exactly. Well, and that's why I went back and forth forever on that. And the reason why I actually talked, I like to talk and figure out like what works and what doesn't work for people around me. And so I seriously asked the millionaires, the best-selling authors, like as many people as I possibly could on going publishing uh, traditionally or not. And the, the ultimate reason why I went the publisher route is because um, I really wanted to do a lot more speaking. And so hardcore, if you get a, if you get a um, publisher then you have a lot more speaking gigs. Like when you're traditionally published, you, people know that you have to go through that and it sort of adds that la layer of credibility because not everybody can get published. But I also really wanted to set myself apart because there's a lot of bloggers out there that have eBooks, mm. right? And, and on Amazon, everybody nowadays can have things on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to sort of set myself apart. It's kind of funny when people are like, oh, you're published. And what clout that sort of brings with it. I've actually been kind of surprised, especially people not in sort of this kind of space. Like you mentioned that you've been published with Wiley and they actually heard of the name Wiley. They think you're like really, really cool. Right. So publishers <laughs> so still have that little bit of credibility attached to their brand still oh, that you yeah. get to apply to yourself because you Definitely. work with them. Definitely. Now I do think that's going to be changing in the future, but well, you know, that's where yeah. we are right now. It's just getting weaker and weaker, isn't it? Like it used to be a huge deal. Now it's a choice and eventually it's going to be like you said probably not even important anymore exactly um, wow jamie um we've hit an hour so that's perfect timing <laughs> um anything else you want to throw in before we wrap it up yeah, actually, if everybody goes to theeventualmillionaire.com, there's actually a whole starter kit with worksheets. So if you do want to start a mastermind group, there's actually templates on what to email people and what I emailed to Pat um, on how exactly to do that. And so all those are free if you just go to theeventualmillionaire.com. Awesome. Okay, so we've covered a lot. <laughs> there's get out of debt. <laughs> there's podcasting. There's getting publicity and exposure for a new blog. There's mastermind groups and we've got publishing a book and pricing and getting coaching clients. <laughs> You've done a lot in the last few years. It's funny how you become sort of a pseudo specialist in all these different subjects. Uh, but thank you for going through it all on the call, Jamie. There's a lot there to absorb and I hope everyone goes and checks out your work at eventualmillionaire.com as well. And I hope the book does really good too. And um, yeah, thanks for joining thank me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Yaro. I really appreciate it. This was super fun. And you have to come over to the States so I can actually meet you in person at yes, some point. Yes, it will happen. It will happen. All right. Thank you, Jamie. And thank you, everyone, for listening in to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. And if you want to get more episodes like this, you know where to go. It's at entrepreneurs-journey.com or subscribe via iTunes or now on SoundCloud as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Jamie. And talk to you all soon again. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening, guys. Please make sure you check out my EJ Insider 
membership site, you can go to www.ejinsider.com forward slash interviews, sample some of the interviews there, check out some of the other guides I have available and join the program. Once you're inside, I look forward to seeing you in with all the other community members at EJ Insider. My name is Yarrow and I'll catch you on another podcast episode very soon. Goodbye. Oh, 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 oh,